Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hello there, my name is Miles Jupp and I'm just interrupting you as you listen to whatever it is that you actually want to listen to to tell you about the second series of Middle Please Umpire. Middle Please Umpire is a podcast that I, Miles Jupp, if you weren't concentrating when I first introduced myself only moments ago, that's not a criticism, your thoughts are your own and you must focus them wheresoever you yourself choose, host with Mark Wood, the 95 mile an hour bowling, England playing World Cup winning Northumberland hailing cricket lunatic Mark Wood. It's another series of episodes of the two of us talking about cricket and indeed any other stuff that springs to mind both with each other and also with a succession of frankly illustrious guests. We lift the lid on Mark's life as an international sportsman, basically he spends a lot of time icing himself, and take you on a whistle-stop journey through the windmills of his mind. I, a mere fan, listen agog, giggle excitedly and try and draw comparisons with my own rather more mundane existence. All episodes of Middle Please Umpire are available right now from your favourite podcast providers. And welcome to the Newcastle Natter. My name is Fergus Craig, and I'm joined by Paul Doolan. Hello. And Dave Watson. Hi, guys. Third time's a charm. Dave, you were <laughs> feeling behind the curtain there. Yeah. That's the third time we've tried to uh, start the podcast. For no real reason, nothing's went particularly wrong. I think the first um, two were just a bit too sexually explicit. And we just sort mm. of we don't want that E next to us on iTunes. No, we'll save the um, sexually explicit chat for the um, our sister podcast, where um, we all talk about our sex lives. We never publicise that on this, on the Newcastle Natter, do we? Because they've got very different audiences. But Newcastle Natter is quite a niche podcast with um, a, a, a small but committed audience, whereas our sister podcast, where we just talk about sex... It's huge. It is massive. <laughs> well, that's part of what we talk about. Well, yes. Oh, well. Because Paul is hung like a monster. Okay. Yeah, well, something else. <laughs> Someone else who's hung like a monster is our scoreline. Well, um, no. no. Let's talk about uh, No. no. 
I feel like starting recording the podcast again because it's just been utter, utter <laughs> shit from top to bottom. But here we go. Let's talk about football. Um, Newcastle United, we played Spurs. Uh, did you see the game, Dave? Yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed the game. It was it was a good performance, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, much better. I mean, just polar opposite to the Brighton game. You know, there was loads of intensity. We were, you know, pushing up the pitch. We were, we played as we can play, and you know, we we were unlucky to draw. Paul, we went to five at the back. Yeah. Did you enjoy that? Yeah, I think I said earlier in the season I didn't want us to go back to five at the back anymore, but it looked fairly solid. I don't think Emil Krath should be anywhere near a back three. Is my only reservation with that. But at least it finally meant Jacob Murphy and Matt Ritchie playing. Yeah, that must have brought a tear to your eye, Fergus, seeing Jacob Murphy lining up. I thought Jacob Murphy and Matt Ritchie were phenomenal. I thought they were by far and away our best players. I thought having them both as uh, wing-backs and not just wingers really worked and I thought that not only are they both pretty good players I think when they're at the best but they also I don't know if they've been instructed to or they were just doing it because that's the sort of players that they are but their um, modus operandi seem to be if you get the ball in the final third third, take a touch and put in a cross and Mm -hmm. That it happened to be pretty decent crosses, and when they were putting in the crosses, they tended to be players in the box. And I yeah. thought that was a revelation. I thought it was, it was, I mean, it's, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't go so far to stay as, as simple as that because if it was easy, then uh, everyone would do it. But I think that was Spurs allowed us to play, but it mm. was nice seeing players. Uh, when given the opportunity, put the ball in the box and for there to be people in the box and those two things combined gave us our biggest XG in what felt like a century. We got an XG of over four, which is apparently the third highest XG for any team this season, I think, Paul, you were mentioning. Well, I said that on the WhatsApp group, but then Dave... You always think you have a stat until you talk to Dave about it, and he immediately came back with they were measuring their XG differently to other people, and actually it was an XG of two. Elaborate, Dave. So there's loads of different models for XG, and some are more reliable than others. And the ones that it popped up with like four point something, and that's insane. That's a ridiculously high number um, of expected goals. Given the performance, like I'm not even even just using your eyes, you'd be you wouldn't have expected us to score five goals in that in that game. Um, so the ones that I've seen, it's somewhere between high twos, like two point seven, or low threes, like three point two. And yeah, you can make an argument that with the chances that we had, you you wouldn't have been surprised if we'd won three two or you know or whatever. So that that record-breaking high XG, uh, it's just a bit 
it's a bit optimistic, I think. So you're saying okay. we should cancel the open top tour for our home Because yeah. <laughs> I was looking at Newcastle for it. Yeah. Well, you can have an expected parade if you want an XP with a, with an X bus. Yeah, exactly. No, it, it was a really good performance. And if you think about the chances that we had, like um, Gale's header that drew a really good save from Loris and then the follow-up chance, yeah, you you could say that that was a really, really good chance. But I think some of them were just, some of the chances were just um, over, like overestimated. I did feel with well, Gale's fundamentally, chance. It, fundamentally, none of that really matters, does it? But go on, Paul. No. I was say it's a shame Dwight Gale hasn't been playing more recently and as a striker. You sort of think we finally play him up front as a striker and he's pretty rusty. Sort of think if he'd had three or four games leading into that, those sort of chances I think he probably puts away. Yeah. I think I, I mean I might not be I might not be right on this. But I think Gale and Joe Linton was we're kind of still playing. We were still. They were still playing as split strikers, right? Just a little narrower than in recent games. I think they were just playing as strikers, really. Weren't they? I mean, I, I should say I was watching the game on a laptop at a barbecue, so I wasn't completely on it. Well, I'm looking at the the heat. I'm looking at the heat maps now, and they both from the barbecue. They operate. Yeah, yeah, it's really sent all ice around the grill. Yeah. No, the um, the um, they did operate on the flanks, but there was a lot more, a lot more going on in the centre. So you might be right that they were, um, they were set up as split strikers, but with more instruction to to end up in the box. If that makes sense, like to almost like you know cover just that fact, area. Just the fact that we had wing backs. Um, would help you know, you have a situation where you had uh, wide strikers dilly dallying and thinking about putting it across for no one. Yeah, the, the the huge frustration for me is that this setup that's been available to us for the duration of St Maximum and Wilson's absence. You know, like having the long staff Willock, they've both been fit. Shelby's been fit. Um, so you could have played something like that, you know, throughout this period where we've been missing our most creative players. And as soon as St. Maximum, Wilson and Almiron are fully fit, I don't think we're going to play this style because St. Maximum is at his best when he's um, operating out wide and driving in. And if you've got that and a wing back, it kind of makes that flank, whichever one he goes on, um, more susceptible to counterattacks, more susceptible to... To leaving gaps, so how yeah, much frustrating? I'm just trying to remember because Matt Ritchie, I, I thought both Matt Ritchie and Jacob Murphy, but Matt Ritchie made a real impact on the game. Having him in the side made a huge difference. He was heavily involved in both goals, and he is still because he hasn't played for us that much over the last year. I wondered whether part of that, not just injuries. Was is he not the Premier League player that he was? But he still obviously can offer quite a lot. How much of him being out this season was down to like injuries, or has there been a lot of him? I'm trying to remember. Is there a lot I of him? Just think a lot of it was down to injuries. 
It's hard to say. It's it's like, because seeing him play, you're like, well, why has he not been a much bigger part of our season? Well, I think like Dave says, you look at the, the formation and the selection and it, it's good that we managed to get a point against Spurs and deserve to win. But you look back at the games against Wolves, West Brom, Villa and think we could be safe by now if yeah. we played in that manner and actually set up with a formation that suits the players available. Yeah, well, maybe earlier on, in, earlier on in the season, certainly it seemed like as a as a club we decided to invest in uh, Jamal Lewis, and um, he was our future at left back or left wing back, and you know that put that took Richie out the side. But you know it took a long time to realise that that just isn't working. And now that we're in a relegation battle, mm. he's he's in there. I think the one thing think... this game crystallised is that. Jeff Hendricks should not be getting in ahead of Sean Longstaff. <laughs> yeah. Right. Sean, oh. Long, Sean Longstaff uh, had a start. He did well, right? Yeah. Yeah, really, really well. I think... Um, he was the talk it, of the it, barbecue. It, <laughs> um, that, that uh, like, Joe Linton's opening goal, his, like, there was lots of really good pressing across the, the, the forward unit, and that caused them to make a couple of errors... But the putting that like the, the hard work aside, the vision and the um, delivery for the the assist to Joe Linton by Sean Longstaff, that's what we've been missing for so fucking long. Like an attacking mid, a midfielder attacking the box, being in an area where they can find a pass to a striker, whoever it is. We've been missing that because what we've been playing with Shelby and Hayden is that they're they're so far back down the pitch, they can't support the attack. Mm. So Sean Longstaff, that assist, plus his endeavour, he was tidy on the ball. Um, he was, you know, he was doing a bit of the defensive work, but he was just allowed a lot more freedom to get forward and attack. And yeah, he was I, I think it was his certainly his best performance of the season. Well, he's hardly we've hardly seen him, have we? But yeah, it was it's the best performance I've seen in him from him in a long time. Hmm. Um and Shelby played all right, didn't he? I mean, he set up that Gale chance with a really nice ball. Um He he played all right, but he didn't do I don't remember him doing anything in that game where I thought that if everybody's fit. Shelby would be in the team you know if everybody's at the he was just doing what he normally does which is who, to who, drop deep go on if, if we assume that uh, Sean Longstaff is starting who, or would you well, no. you're going Sean Longstaff and Isaac Hayden are you oh, yeah Willick. surely I don't think you, I don't think you can play Longstaff Willick like if we were to play with three in midfield you'd need uh, somebody who's comfortable just sitting sitting back in in that pocket, whatever role they're playing. If it's the the Shelby quarterback role, or if it's Hayden destroying, you need somebody in that space. And Willock and Sean Longstaff want to get forward, so you could play those three, those two, and Matty Longstaff. Um, but yeah, just it is in my head. It's Sean Longstaff and, and Hayden in the centre. Joe I Willock didn't yeah. get started. Joe Willock didn't get a start. I didn't have a problem with that per se, but it was nice to see him come on and get himself a tap in. But but by being the player that 
we needed him to be at that point stage of the game, you know, running into the box. Mm. Wasn't it? Or anything on that? Yeah, no, I think he he does what's sort of expected to me. He is someone that we've not really got that type of player of, of that box-to-box, proper running midfielder. Longstaff probably has a little bit of that in his locker. But I think Willock was saying, Bruce told him, just go on, run and score, which as a direction isn't bad, and it, it worked. So I think it's tactical, managerial genius. I think it depends on the formation we have for who we have in the centre, just coming back to the earlier point, because I think... If we don't have anyone that can comfortably play as that deep-lying like enforcer midfielder, there's no point crowbarring Shelby into that role because it just no. it just encourages a gap between the defence and the attack of about 60 yards while he's trying to ping it. I would rather Sean Longstaff or Joe Willock taking up that role or just yeah, two, two in the middle even. I think, four, I, think two, the, the, <laughs> I think the thing for me is that if we are to move back to a four-two-three-one, you can have Longstaff and uh, Willock in 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 that centre, because then they're they're protected by an attacking midfielder ahead of them, and mm. it's a flat back forward. It's it's quite solid, but in a in a system where you can end up with three defenders because both wing backs are bombed on, you do need somebody in that in that pocket. And well, I like I say, it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be Shelby doing the quarterback role. Uh, the, sorry, the destroying role. He can do any bloody role he wants as long as there's a player back in that pocket. I desperately want us to stick with this formation now. I know that um we've got St. Maximin coming back. He did come on for a bit, was involved in uh, the second goal. Um hopefully we've got Wilson coming back, but I have to you know, I'm, I understand if everyone's fit, maybe this isn't the right formation, but I did love seeing them win backs. I, I honestly think that we shouldn't rush um, St Maximum or Wilson back uh, for the next couple of games. I think we should stick with this formation because it worked really well against Spurs. Next up, we've got um, Burnley and having five, you know, defenders uh, with those two wing backs. Burnley do love to to get the ball forward as quickly as possible. So if you've got a defensive unit that's populated at the very least, then I think that's a wiser choice. And certainly the the movement that we had up front, that could cause Burnley issues. And I think, like I say, just just bring St. Maximum and Wilson back in gently so that at the, the tail end of the season where you've only got four or five games left, they're full fitness. Um, uh Whatever formation we'd say we play, I think we've probably all agreed that we would rather uh, Emil Kraft wasn't playing at centre back. <laughs> well, I'll, give, I'll give you the, um, the as his as his biggest uh, fan. I'll give you the pleasure of describing his contribution to sport, Spurs' first goal. <laughs> well, it, it was quite a clear opportunity to clear the ball, not even into Rosehead. You don't have to go that far, just out of the pitch. But instead, just. It's hard to tell what happened. Did he just kind of fluff it or did he pass it? I think he missed it. Some some of the commentators were sort of suggesting that he was trying to play it out or anything. I don't think he was. I think he just missed it. He's just not, he's not good enough to play right back in the Premier League and that's his position. He's definitely not good enough to play centre-back, even if you've got two other centre-backs making up for you. I, Mm. I don't know why Florian Lejeune, who's 
whatever club he's at, he's been their player of the season, I think, just voted. Like, why is he not? Is it Alaves? Alaves? Might be Alaves, I think. Well, there was a stage not long ago when we did have a surplus. We seem to have so many centre-backs and uh, Lejeune, uh, it was decided that he was expendable and maybe he was pushing for a move, I don't know. But But you think as soon as Cher's out for the season, bring him back? You know those players players like Kraft or um, Jeff Hendrick who we look at and we just... As fans, it's really difficult to understand why they get as many starts as they do. I am. Um, I want to. I I listen to the Peter Crouch podcast sometimes, which is um, good and bad in equal measure. Um, it's quite you know. It's, I enjoy it. They do call each other boys a lot. All right, boys, boys, yeah, boys. What do we think about this then, boys, boys? All right, boys. I say that a lot. But one thing, uh, Peter Crouch was saying that because. Um, uh, Data is such a big part of football these days. Everything is recorded, every move that a player makes. What uh, He's known quite a few players who will, if they're taking the corner, sprint to take the corner or they'll sprint to do something. They'll just throw in extra sprints because they know it's going to look good in their stats. And I wonder whether Kraft and Hendrick are the sort of players who aren't contributing to any real football but they've found like sort of like cheats that really it's interesting you say that it's interesting you say that because it was I think it was Micah Richards was talking about Steve Bruce and saying that he he loves he loves players that put the effort in and he looks at the data and if you're doing lots of running he loves it yeah so you might be onto something then next time next time either of them play if they start like sprinting to take the um i don't know take a throw in or something yeah i'm phoning you up and saying you were right fergus you were right all along mm-hmm. the problem is there's other stats that get measured like mistakes leading to a goal <laughs> and passing percentage and tackling success but the thing is that probably doesn't i think bruce is just checking their stravas <laughs> just giving them kudos doesn't show up on those stats but what I didn't understand is like when Javier Manquillo's fit he's he's obviously a better footballer than Emil Kraft and he's also I don't know he, you wouldn't at a pinch you could accept him at centre back like because he's he's okay at right back alright at a pinch he'll play centre back Emil Kraft's Fucking garbage at right back. Yeah. What makes you think he'll be any better at centre back, which is a has more pressurised? Has Banquillo ever played centre back at all? I think he's filled in a couple of times. Yeah. Like but I think in, even though but... even though he's left footed, Kieran Clark would be a better option as the right of the three centre backs than Emil Kraft. Mm. I just I had assumed that there was some kind of fitness thing that had led Kieran Clark to not start instead of Kraft, but you know. Who knows? Um, I was going to say, have a little word on Spurs. Uh, they're obviously not brilliant at all at the moment, but Harry Kane, I mean, I'm not the first to say it, but he's unbelievable, I think. I think he, I think he's uh, uh, as good at the moment as Peak Shearer. Wow. I think he's up there at the moment. You, he's, 
I think if he was a if he was in a top top team, I think it would be interesting. He is, yeah, he's scoring bucket loads at Spurs, and they are as well. Spurs are very up and down. Actually, it's a bit unfair to say because they're nearly in the Champions League spots. But yeah, you sort of think it's he should be at Real Madrid or somewhere. But not just as a like goal scorer. This is the thing in the last season or two, he's this all round player he he's the he gets so many assists just the way he links up the play he's just so good and that second goal his like just touch and finish there is what I thought was quite cheer-esque and I, I think he's the player. I think he's the first player where I've been properly nervous that he's going to break Shearer's all-time record but if he stays at Spurs he won't does it make you nervous? Yeah, yeah. It makes you nervous. Yeah, I, I, I would have thought that. I would have thought that um, staying at Spurs would uh, possibly give him a better chance of breaking that record. In the same way that, for most of Alan Shearer's career, he was in a top six side of sometimes a, a mid-table side with us and got all those goals. I think that. But he was guaranteed playing every week. Well, yeah, but then, but then Harry, you know, Hurricane's that good that if he were to move to Man U or Man City, he would still be guaranteed to start every game because he's fucking brilliant. And you know, so, that, but there wouldn't. I wonder whether the goals might be shared about a bit more. I don't know. But like Paul says, he's providing goals and assists. Like I think. I might be, I might get it wrong, but I think he he's got like either the most or the second most assists in that team, and it's like Shearer was at us. He, he scored an absolute hat, to, hat full of goals, but he also provided a load of assists. This season, I think if he got the most, this season Harry Kane has the most goals and the most assists of any player in the Premier League. I think. Uh, yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. He's doing everything, so he's sticking in Man City. All the like playing playing behind uh, playing in front of players like De Bruyne and Mares and Sterling, he is going to gobble up the goals because he's better than Gabriel Jesus. I'd argue he's better than Sergio Aguero, and Sergio Aguero is one of the most electric strikers that's graced the Premier League. Anyway, to get any way you look at it, I just mm. thought I'd have a word. So, but another <laughs> another striker who was on the pitch who I thought was at that level as well. And scored was Joel Linton. We've not talked about his goal really, have we? To be fair, we should talk about Joel Linton. You're right. It, that was some are saying it's game? his best performance. Um, oh, definitely. Certainly, certainly up there. It was very good. A nicely taken chance, Dave, and a, a good all-round game. Right? Yeah, he was. He was doing that thing that we've been crying out for him to do all season. Which, well, for the last two seasons, is is get into the box and he was I mean he's not he reminds me of uh, Shola Amiobi where the ball will just bounce off him and then he'll you know cause chaos a bit and he's causing issues for the for the defenders by being in the box by being a physical presence in there I think he works really well sorry he works a lot better than he was with a strike partner um I can't. I can't say he played really well because he, you know, he scored one goal. He could have had more, but his touch and his finishing let him down again. 
I think I the think thing that helped him the both. most as well was having mm. the wing backs made such a difference to his game, I thought. We actually had well, a focal port for them to go to. It wasn't a sort of fifty yard diagonal ball to Joel Linton with no one around him. There were quite mm. decent balls coming in when we had players in and around the box. And he's he's quite handy at holding up the ball. And yeah, like you say, having Gale around him or having a strike partner, be interesting to see what him and Wilson would be like in that formation up front together. I think this is what we can hope for from Joe Linton now, realistically. If you scratch the fact that he was a £40 million striker, if you if you can erase that from your mind, then I think the best we can hope for for him is that he becomes our next Shola Amiobi. And I, and I mean that in a positive yeah. way. It's not what you would hope for from a £40 million striker, but if you look back over our goals in the early part of this century, a lot of them show that Amiobi is involved in some way. Mm. Uh, most famously, Shearer's record-breaking goal. But he's like, he was uh, he was a disappointment uh, as a player because he showed so much promise, Amiobi, and uh, he wasn't he was sometimes sort of laughable, but he did contribute a lot over the course of his and career. I think one thing he's got over Amiobi is, even though he's been uh, pretty shit for the majority of his, his time at Newcastle, he's always put in a shift. He's always worked hard. It might not be where we wanted to do, where we wanted to be working hard, and it might not be a, a sensible use of that energy, but he's always put in a shift. He's never he's never shirked the responsibility. Yeah, Amiobi of, wasn't a hard worker. Really in so much, he, he he kind of lolloped about the pitch. He he, he right. didn't like, he didn't put his weight around until much later on in his career, where he became more of a target man rather than that like the the leggy striker that we we thought he might be. But he, he just became he just bulked out and became this big unit, and then he could throw his weight around. But Joe Linton, he's always running, he's always grafting, so. And isn't that what Newcastle fans claim that that's all they want from a footballer? And he looked the incredibly, in. He looked incredibly happy when he scored his goal and it was very difficult not to be happy for him, wasn't it, Paul? Yeah, I think it's... When you've got a player that bad, you don't want to see them keep missing guilt-edged chances every week. And he took it well as well as goal. It was a good finish. He's missed a lot easier chances than that. In if we bought if we'd bought Daryl Murphy for 40 million and got <laughs> Joe Linton for whatever we got Daryl Murphy for, mm-hmm. 1.5 million or something, would the way would Joe Linton be the cult loved striker? And Probably. Daryl Murphy, the joke. Is he some- I honestly think if you had paid as little for Joe Linton as we did for Hosselu, they'd, they'd be held in the same regard because. For all Hosselu wasn't very good and he did miss some absolute sitters. He like the fans never really hated him. They just thought he's a bit shit, but who cares? Because he's all we've he got. Was a, he was a joke, wasn't he? He was a considered joke. He was considered but but they, they did, you know, they didn't hate him, they didn't boo him or anything like that. They just he's a bit shit, but he's all we've got. If Joe Linton didn't cost 40 million, that's the approach, but it's it's that. Like, you can't 
talk about Joe Linton without mentioning the fact that Mike Ashley and the scouts thought he was worth 40 million quid. It is hilarious. It's twice as much as pretty much any player in our history. <laughs> I think it is twice as much, right? What's the next one after him? Is it Almiron? Yeah. Yeah. It's about twice as much. What's interesting is that there are other players in the Premier League who had who have done as fuck all, like Pepe at Arsenal, where it's not spoken about as much because it wasn't so much more than their than their record-breaking transfers, and it was like in what they could afford. But because it's so much more than we've ever paid for a player before, and he's been shit, it's it's all anybody talks about with Joe Linton is his price tag. That's a shame. All right, well, um, we're going to have a, a, a little break now. Uh, there's no price tag on this podcast. All this content is free. Uh, but we will have a little break, and uh, then we'll come back and we'll go to social media. All right. See you in a second. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike e-bikes that are cool af welcome back to the newcastle natter was it a good break for you boys yeah it's all right why yes my boys yeah good break boys yeah yeah boys um so uh should we just go straight in on social media which i've not prepared for is there anything else we should be talking should be talking about there's not much else going on. I refuse to talk about, about any impending takeovers. Oh. Don't even like open your browser to tell me. I don't want to talk about any fucking takeovers. Oh, I would say on. the Athletic article at the weekend about the former Roma owner, whose name escapes me now. Palotta. Palotta. I really want to. The him. Pope. Like, he's joked a few times about being interested in Newcastle, but apparently has looked into it a bit as well and is looking for a Premier League club and I would so much rather have him than the Saudis yeah really really like it there'd just be no noise about anything else other than the football and the quotes I saw from him were, were like it's not just about the bottom line it's about the culture of the club and it's about the fans and it's you know three generations of of football fan all going together and you've got to build something that they can all enjoy and all of this makes all the right noises. And the quote that gives me a, a scintilla of hope is that, you know, if, if there were the right investors, he, you know, he'd look to get back into buying a, a football club and it would be in the Premier League and someone like Newcastle. Maybe that could, maybe that could happen. Maybe he'd be a great owner. One, it's fucking boring because it never happens. 
and two, and two uh, everyone when they're buying a football club says those sort of things. They don't go. No new owner says. Look, for me, it's about the balance sheet. I mean, sometimes maybe they reveal themselves with the odd quote, but in gem- generally, they're always like, "We just really bought into the city. These fans are incredible," and blah blah blah. They well, no, but he that. does. I, yeah, I mean, this was backed up by the way he ran Roma as well. Very much along yeah. those lines. So it's not just it's not just like someone being a tire kicker and saying, "Yeah, or to bring the city back to life." This is sort of fair. Fair enough. Backed up. Why, why do you, why do you hate fun, Fergus? Why do you hate yeah. just why do you hate because this is the opposite of fun. Talking about takeovers <laughs> is the opposite of fun. Which, oh, I think oh, we should okay. Replace... Let, let's talk about like fucking replace... West Brom nil nil again. We let's do that. About... That was fun. We should replace takeover talk with Bitcoin talk. I would rather talk about <laughs> fucking cryptocurrencies <laughs> than takeovers. All right, let's go in on social media. Rob, uh, I'm so sorry, Rob. You you tweet in a lot, and at one stage I had your surname down, and now I've lost confidence. But uh, I'm going to go for Rob Farkaharson. No, Farkerson. Farkerson. Is it Farkerson? I'm yeah. so sorry. Okay, Rob Farkerson. Uh, he says, uh, if you were a Premier League centre back and Emil Kraft was picked ahead of you, would you rather a drive a bus or b work in a call centre? It would be a massive blow to your confidence. Hmm. I think you would just think, have I lost a yard? Do I need to retire from the game or go down the divisions? I think uh, looking at the season that we've had, for a lot of us, it would probably be another um, decrease in your confidence in our manager, right? I mean, Yeah. Yeah. It's it's similar to what I think think Paul said last week when when the... um, when the manager sets you up without a striker, doesn't bring a striker on all game, it's gonna you're not gonna think brilliant we can win this game. Similarly, if you see Emil Kraft, then yeah, you are gonna be interesting uh, question here from another regular tweet, uh, Thomas Burkham. So uh, out of nowhere, really. It's not um particularly topical, but it's an interesting question. Who do you hate more, Mike Ashley or Alex Ferguson? Paul? Uh, Mike Ashley. I don't even hate Alex Ferguson. I massively respect him as a manager. And <laughs> he seems like a really decent person. Dave? Yeah, definitely Mike Ashley. Like, Alex Ferguson at the time, I didn't like him. Yeah, I've never really had a problem with Alex Ferguson. I mean, all of the top, top managers who've won things in England seem to have moments where they're just completely unreasonable men. But um, I've always quite liked him. I think you have to be. To, to be to be like a, a top manager in the Premier League, you have to be a bit of an arsehole. I mean, we see it in different ways. Like Klopp can be an arsehole. Guardiola can be an arsehole. Mourinho certainly was an arsehole, still is. Like, you have to be. You have to have that well, speaking of Mourinho, I'll move on to another question here, seeing as we're on the topic, um, from Robert Elliott. He says, Jose must have a soft spot for St. James's because of Bobby Robson connection. He has to be our next manager. I don't know if he's being sarcastic there. I mean, would you take Jose as our next manager? No, no, not at all. He's, he's, 
a busted flush. He used to be one of the best managers in the world, and now he's got an ego the size of the evergreen, ever given, sorry, and he's just similarly stuck like he's in the Suez Canal. It's just a, no, I wouldn't touch him. He's toxic. Yeah. You look at the the players he had at Man U and the players, he's got one of the best strikers in the world. And even with that array of talent, he struggles to get a tune out of them and falls out with them. Like, imagine him with our squad. I think I genuinely be... think I genuinely think he's Steve Bruce's best competition for the title of worst manager in the Premier League at the moment. I think Jose is a terrible manager. It doesn't matter how. Basically, the only there obviously must have been times in his career where he deserves a lot of credit for what he's done. But he's never done anything without like a phenomenal squad of players. And even when he has a pretty phenomenal squad of players, all he does is dunk on those players. He only ever blames the players for anything that mm. goes wrong. Anything that's anything that has gone well in his career, he'll um, brag about it forever. And anything that goes badly is down to the players. Well, in that case, what's the fucking point of a manager? If it's just, you know... Yeah, yeah. I would rather Sean Dyche than Mourinho, comfortably. I'd rather Potter, Dyche, I'd rather... I mean, here's a question. If Mourinho complains as much about his players as he has done with his last two squads, which are Spurs and Man United... Can you imagine how much you would complain about our squad? <laughs> I mean, that would be phenomenal. At uh, least, uh, to be fair, though, at least the fans would agree with most of those criticisms. Yeah, yeah. maybe. Yeah, maybe that's what we need. We just need we just need a manager and fans in united together abusing our squad. <laughs> but you feel like for Mourinho to do well now he needs the most expensively assembled team in the world and a time machine, which are two things yeah. he's not going to get at Newcastle. Yeah, definitely. I would, I could, I don't think we would do any better in terms of points total. If we did, I don't know, maybe five more points or something. It'd be like, interesting. Cause I think, It'd be interesting to see how he does with a sort of underdog team where there's no pressure to play attacking football and it is just siege mentality backs against the wall. But mm. I just because that's that's how it worked with Porto and Chelsea. I mean, I know at Chelsea he had he he ended up with like a plethora of talent, but at the time when he took over, they weren't they weren't like favourites to win the title or anything like that. And he had them playing some really, really effective football. To be honest, he's the same as Rafa Benitez in that he he can sort out a team and make them effective. But when it comes up when he comes up against the likes of Klopp or Guardiola or something, you can see the difference in the in their tactical awareness. I think he's almost like if you look at when he was at Inter the- and there were those games where Inter Barcelona where they'd have about 20% possession but get through. He's he's kind of a continental Allardyce. 
I think loves being the underdog, loves coming up against sort of football hipsters and teaching them a lesson. So I think it'd be interesting to see if he could do that of a less expensive squad at the foot of the table. Mm. So yeah, maybe he needs to like accept the sort of manager he is, and maybe yeah, maybe he maybe we come to think of it, maybe we are the right springboard for him to become latter era Jose Mourinho which is basically the next Sean Dyche. He's just going to have this um, this Indian summer of a career saving teams from relegation by playing turgid football. Yeah. Um, okay, we've got another one here from uh, Paul M. He says, what do you make of Bruce no longer living in the area or moving back to Cheshire? I hadn't heard about that. Sign of a fully committed manager or one that knows his time is almost up? Or is he just sick of all the fan mail? I mean, didn't um, Benitez live in the world for the whole time he managed us? We didn't think that was a problem, did we? I think it's different, though. Is it? Because it's... because it's uh, Why? Why is it different? Well, I think because... Bruce was living in the area. Yeah. I mean, that's... Uh, fundamentally, he, he moved to the area for the for the um for the job and then when it now that it's going badly he's god he might be my neighbor um he actually moved to cheshire though is it when people say that he when you hear i never get this right when you hear that benitez lived in the wirral he didn't fucking live there right he wasn't driving three hours to training every day right it was just that's where his house was i don't know sometimes they do I think in Benitez's case, wasn't he living in the same block as Isaac Hayden? So I think he was sort of probably coming up every week. Right. Hmm. Okay. Well, yeah. And, I mean, Mike Lowen did it when when he was playing for us. He, he stayed, lived in Cheshire and just got, I mean, he just got a helicopter off. Now, I didn't realise this, but Steve Bruce is worth 40 million quid. What? Estimated net worth of Stephen Bruce, 40 million quid. Is this from one of those celebrity net worth websites, though? Because they always have... Have you Googled that? Because I genuinely, at one stage, had an estimated net worth on Google of 79 million quid. So, but I think fuck they... off. No, I genuinely did. Is, is so, that because they mistake you for Craig just Ferguson? Answer, just answer me the question, Dave. Is your Steve Bruce net worth fact based on a Google search? So there's somebody at the door. I'm going to have to... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those celebrities. It's my bin alarm. I've well, made yeah. people I've worked with on there before knowing that they're not that rich and they're valued at like nine million pounds net worth. But but then if you if you think about how long he's been in the job in the in as a as a manager, I know that he, like his wage at Newcastle is fifty seven grand a week ish. So if he's been doing that for what twenty years. 40 million quid, not, not an, yeah. an unreasonable. Him. Good for him. All right, next one. Ed Fusco. How many pints of wine do you think Sam Allardyce celebrated with on Sunday? Five, perhaps? Um, do we need to worry about West Brom? We don't need to worry about West Brom, do we? It's impossible. It's between us and Fulham. <laughs> between us and Fulham. That's I think, it. I think Brighton and Burnley are probably still in there as well. They're not... Safe, I safe. Think it I think it's. The, the thing is that 
there's five points between West Brom and Fulham, but there's uh, there's only three points between. Um, yeah, there's only three points between. No, there's, sorry, there's four points between us and Burnley. So if if West Brom are in it, Burnley are in it. Yeah. Well, I don't think either of them. I think West Brom are down, Burnley are up. That's what I, I think. I that was the most shit-eating grin, even from Sam Allardyce, <laughs> I think I've ever seen. Seen him with his feet up, doing a future Mourinho job of just coming up against a tactically fancied younger manager and schooling them in big sandball. I think, yeah. I, think, I think how happy Mourinho would be with that sort of performance. I think, think we've figured out his career for him. Did you watch any of the, the West Brom game? Some of those goals were, yeah. were beautiful. Yeah, amazing volley from um, Carl Robinson. That's right, yeah. Good game. Sorry, sorry, go on. I was going to say, I think with Sam Allardyce, I don't think you can ever write him off unless the body's cold. (laughs) I sort of, I do worry, irrationally, but I worry they could catch us. If we were just worried about Fulham and then suddenly West Brom, if we lost on the final day and West Brom had pulled off a miraculous escape. I don't know. They're, they're eight points behind us and they've won four times all season and they are one I of only two teams with worse goal difference than us by a measure. They've got they've conceded 14 more goals than we have. But it's Allardyce. It's Allardyce and it's he'll get, get about a, roughly a point a game, but that's not going to be enough to, to overtake us. It's possible in the same way that it's technically possible that I could still win an Oscar. Bedford <laughs> okay. uh, Mag says, do you think Steve Bruce is going insane? He's now started arguing with himself from saying there was a mole leaking inf- info and disrupting the squad to now saying he doesn't know where that rumour came from because it's not true. He's just a fucking buffoon, says Bedford Mag. I wasn't aware of this um, flip-flop but if if the facts are as Bedford Mac tells them then that's that's certainly two contradictory positions they are it's exactly as Bedford Mag says it's um a couple of weeks ago when the the story broke about Richie and him having a bus stop um Bruce was quoted as saying um you know there's somebody in the in the camp leaking stuff um and we can't have that. That's that's unacceptable. And then after the game, he's like, "Don't know what people are talking about." A mole. It's ridiculous. It's like, yeah, that's funny. I mean, I would have thought he's probably right the first time. Um, vital question here. Jake Sampson says, "Does Dave still have a bin alarm? You still yeah. got a bin alarm, Dave?" Yeah, 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 definitely. I've got everything on reminders on my phone because I've got no memory. The day Dave gets rid of his bin alarm is the day I worry about Dave. My dad has an alarm, but it's like his own voice. Because if it was just an alarm, he wouldn't know what it was. <laughs> so like um, for his tablets, he'll go, time to, time to take your tablets. <laughs> <laughs> um, what... <laughs> If if you could do a, a really accurate like mimic of your dad's voice, it'd be so much fun just to fuck with him and just say like, 
Uh, Time to take um, off your shorts, Dave. Or it could be a very like Agatha Christie plot where you keep recording that and make yeah. an overdose on his tablets, but it's the perfect crime. Dave, have you country. seen? Have you seen my Twitter videos? Is that your dad? Well, he's not as posh as that, but it is essentially there's a lot of my dad to that. Oh, hi, Fergus. Yeah, that's my dad. <laughs> right. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. That's my dad. Look at you, mom. Yeah. No, that might be your dad. My dad's. Yeah. Like, my dad had a business at home when I was a kid called Let There Be Light. They sold electrical equipment for boats. It's called Let There Be Light. But the business line was the same as our home phone line. So if any of my friends rang, rang, <laughs> my dad would answer the phone. Let there be light. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, this is explaining a lot. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's all coming together. <laughs> uh, One Up Gaming says, I love to guessing game. I guess I love the guessing game of the formation or starting lineup. Why sack Bruce and lose that? Plus, I think everyone should subscribe to the One Up Gaming YouTube channel. Well, there you go. There's your free advert. P.S. Love the show and just give Dave 30 minutes talking about stats. No. Uh, <laughs> it would be too interesting. We're not willing to be that interesting or that accurate about football. That's not our market. Come on, guys. Yeah. And uh, one more, which I'm reading completely fresh, from Andy Sheldon. He says, was the Spurs game Cabbage Head finally getting lucky with his random formation and tactics selection and realising we need players who can cross a ball to actual targets in the box? Richie being back in the squad made a massive difference when he's sort of reaffirming what we were saying at the beginning of the podcast there. So that's a nice little bookend to the episode. Before we go, did you see the video clip of um, Richie... It, the, it was the a clip of Willock's goal, but it just focused on Richie. Yes. No. Oh, that's if I can find, it, I'll retweet Richie, that because if you'll remember, Richie put in the cross and uh, it hit Joe Linton, and it sort of like bounced around in the box a little, a little for a couple of seconds. But um, with the camera just on Richie, he's um, heading and kicking every ball <laughs> in the box, desperate oh. for it to go. How has he been left out for so long? Oh, I, I think it's not just his ability that he brings to the side. It's, it's his enthusiasm. It's his, it's his voice. Everything about that guy needs to start in this Newcastle side. Yeah. I reckon Matt Ritchie is going to be a really uh, loved for a short period, enthusiastic lower league manager. Yeah. And then, He's got that yeah. sort of like... In, Maybe I'm underestimating his tactical now. Maybe he has that as well. But he has that sort of like um, sort of the uh, British football passion. I would say in like Newcastle cult hero terms as well, he's probably at the level of like Kevin Nolan already. I can't imagine he'd have to buy many drinks in Newcastle, Matt Ritchie, even in about 15, 20 years. Hmm. Sure, I'd put him above Kevin Nolan. In my uh, oh, in my book, yeah, so I would see Kevin Nolan as more of a a Bolton player. Do you know what I mean? Hat trick against know. Sunderland, though. And sure, yeah, but I'd see him as a a Bolton player who was a good player. 
you know, for us when we're in the championship and all of that. But Matshe Richie's more sort of cult hero esque because it's not just about what he's done on the pitch, but also yeah, the kick like what is done with corn flags that left the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, is there anything else to say except talking about our next game? No. Don't okay. Next game is against uh, Burnley, isn't it? Yeah, it's a wait. It's a wait to Burnley on Sunday, the eleventh. Uh, right. What do we think about that? It's another massive game, right? Let's. I mean, in the if you take away all of those recent games, which really should have been three points or at least a point, and weren't, you could say a point uh, against Spurs is a bit of a bonus to uh, a game against Burnley which is a game we really should be trying to win right yeah this feels like our most winnable game for a while I think not long after this we've got that run of Man City Leicester Liverpool in whatever after Burnley it goes West Ham Liverpool Arsenal Leicester Man City and we're already relying on Fulham being shit but I think relying on that happening for six weeks is going to be tricky. This feels like our easiest three points until we get to Sheffield United. And as we've shown, Mm -hmm. there's no guaranteed three points for Newcastle in this league. Well, absolutely not. And it won't be uh, an easy three points at all. It won't be anything close to it. Um, But Burnley did... uh, what happened to them this weekend? They went 2-0 they lost, up. They had a 2-0 up and they lost 3-2 to Southampton. So um, I guess it's, it's going to depend a lot on how they react to that because they're going to be in a bit of a state, right, Dave? Yeah, I think the the interesting thing about Burnley this year is that they've only seemed to like snapped into Burnley form recently, which is just grinding out wins. But that that loss against Southampton is going to knacker their confidence because they did go 2-0 up and they should have, at that point, burnley their way to a win, just shut up shop, be disciplined and stuff. But Southampton, at the end, they, they could have won, I think they could have won more comfortably. I'd fancy us to get a point. I don't think, depending on who's fit and how fit they are and what fucking random formation Bruce sticks with, I fancy us to get at least a point. I think uh, I can't remember what a theory on why this was. I guess it was maybe mainly that um, we're not really, uh, uh, we don't respond well to pressing sides. But I think we, I remember saying earlier on in the season that we tended to do, have our best games against more traditional uh you know, long ball style sides this season. Our best games were against sides like like um, Burnley. We had we beat them three one in October. We've had a couple of at least yeah, we've had a couple of good performances against Palace, right? No, one good no Palace. I know um, what you're trying to say because it's it's teams like uh, Leeds, Brighton. Um, those kinds of teams that really Southampton where we came on stock, but it was against Spurs who are now quite a, a rudimentary 
British team, Burnley, we did okay. West Ham at the beginning of the season, they didn't press us at all. So if Burnley don't get at us, then yeah, we could we we could beat them. If they if they are disciplined and, and make it difficult for us, then it depends who's fit. Because if St Maximum's fit and starts the game and we we play four two three one or something, yeah, I could see us. I could see us getting all three points. But genuinely, I have no idea who Steve Bruce is going to pick and in what formation. So I can't mm. I can't make an accurate not an accurate, but I can't make an informed guess. I wouldn't mind the five at the back again, just because Burnley tend to have two quite physical strikers. I think that's better for coping with that. But yeah, like you say, it's sort of no idea what you're going to get with them. Hopefully, Burnley seem to have been at their best lately when they've started to feel under threat of relegation. And hopefully they're sort of safe and semi on the beach. Mm. The Southampton performance sort of alludes to that a little bit. I'd also say that the tail end of the season is going to be really interesting because normally teams who are like comfortably safe and not in any danger of getting into Europe or anything, they're normally kicked on by their home fans. The home fans aren't going to be there. So it will be it'll be really interesting to see how badly performances drop off for those teams mm. in that like in, in that the space. Way that ours did in lockdown last season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although I wonder whether this game might be a sort of Dash might approach this game with the squad as if we get three points this week, then we're safe. Yeah. I mean, this is this is the is the big game for them. You know, who knows? Uh, okay, do you want to predict scores, Paul? Two one us. Four, Dave. One. One one says Dave. I say a glorious two. Ah, two nil. Two nil to us. Why not? Whoa! I don't actually Whoa. think that. But why not? You know. <laughs> yeah. Us, you know. Two nil. Yes. In the goal. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> let's leave it there. Yeah, um, I, think I, think, I think all we can ask for ahead of the game is that the football gods just say, let there be light. Let there be light. Let there be light. Um, oh, yeah, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much, Dave Watson. Thanks, Fergus. Thank you, Paul Doolan. Thank you. Thank you to you, the Newcastle Natter listener, and to Graham Jones. <laughs> Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.